This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Equity Mike! I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is you Welcome back to another episode of Equity Mates. And boy, do we have a bumper episode for you today. If you've just joined us for the very first time, welcome. My name is Bryce. And as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you? I'm very good, Bryce. We're getting towards the end of the year. We're about to take a break and then get into our summer series where we deep dive on 12 stocks with 12 experts. But we always bookend the year with one expert he was our very first guest on Equity Mates all the way back in 2017. We sat around a table like this with one microphone between <laughs> us. Now we're surrounded by cameras and lights and microphones. But Andrew is as insightful as ever. Andrew Brown, the Executive Chairman of East 72 Dynasty Trust. Welcome back to Equity Mates. Thank you, Ran, and good morning, Bryce. Good morning, Andrew. Now, the reason we have you here, if you have just tuned in at the start of the year, it is a tradition. We sit down with Andrew and we do bold predictions for the year ahead. And to close the year, as you said, Ren, we bookend it with a wrap-up episode. Now, we've just come off the back of Ren and I wrapping up our bold predictions and stock of the year. Now, it is Andrew's turn. 14 predictions to get through today. How do you think you went from the top, Andrew? Not as well as last year, which was pretty exemplary. <laughs> yeah, we did, we did <laughs> 10 out of 14 last yeah. year, which is yeah. pretty good in these things. And whilst I was extremely trepidatious re-listening to the, uh, the episode uh, broadcast on the 16th of February, it's perhaps a little better than I thought. So, yeah. But nice. there's lots of insight. Great. Coming out of each of the things, whether we were right or whether we were wrong. Yeah. And I think the fact that we return to the bold predictions is important because there are a lot of financial media will throw them out at the start of the year. Everyone loves a prediction and everyone loves a stock tip, but they'll very rarely return to them. So we appreciate you coming back and facing the music yes, however I'm, they I'm, I'm not a Greek economist, yes. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> well, let's get stuck in. We'll take a listen to Andrew's first prediction. But I think what it shows, if nothing else, and this is prediction number one, and it has a real implication for what you guys listening and girls listening have to do, volatility is going to be a major feature of 2023. 
I think volatility in major theme of 2023, I think that was pretty much spot on. Yeah, yeah. I think um, so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, ob- obvious things. Let, let's start with the US 10-year bond, which was uh, basically around three and a half, I think, in, in February. Obviously, it touched 5%, and in the space of one month, went from five to four and a quarter. 10-year bonds don't do that, generally. The stock market uh, itself, if we take the US market, it fell... 8% over a three-month period from about the end of August to the end of October. Uh, and then, of course, as many of you would be aware, just rocketed up roughly 10% in November, uh, simply because maybe it was a bit too cheap in October. Look, we had a bit of help from that. We record these things when the bold prediction starts is usually done in the first or second week of February. And by the time we'd, we'd done it, as we outlined uh, in, in the original recording, the NASDAQ was up 14 percent above the year end in five weeks yeah so and uh, the ASX was up six and a half percent so volatility continued to be a feature why uh, simply because obviously you've had a change in US monetary policy you've had subtle changes in US monetary policy as well so the obvious change of quantitative tightening in other words interest rates being pushed up and then you know, reaching a level where most people think uh, you know, there's not really much more scope for short term rates to rise uh, what's been happening since then of course is the US government's been spending like drunken sailors and they can't finance their deficit without the help of the Federal Reserve Board so what you've got you've got one arm of government issuing bonds and, the, and another arm of government buying most of them um, so it, it's really quite fascinating. And that type of environment just creates volatility. Add to that uh, the sort of ongoing bits and bobs of Russia, Ukraine, but you know, uh, more pertinently, obviously, you've had disruption in the Middle East because the events of the 7th of October. You say the oil price has been extraordinarily volatile over the course of the year. The US dollar has continued to be extremely strong, so that's played havoc with quite a lot of commodities. And it's clearly, yeah, there have been other things sort of bubbling along underneath in the background. Changing Japanese monetary policy. You know, so the yen's been, you know, sort of, you know, weaker than me moving furniture. Um, you know, it's just, you know, and so the Japanese market's been a crackerjack market over the course of this year. You know, fly three hours south and, and it's been one of the worst stock markets in the world, which is China and Hong Kong. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there's been real volatility and a little bit more divergence than you might imagine okay but we'll come to lack of divergence elsewhere in this pod all right well let's move to prediction two this one was a bit alarming at the time prediction number two is why might volatility (laughs) be a feature of 2023 there are all kinds of economic things which we can get onto in a minute but i'm going to suggest to you one of the boldest predictions i'm going to make is death Wow. Okay. And uh, I mean, it's not that bold to assume that someone will die. That That's a fact of life. But you named a few people, uh, critically important people around the world. Joe Biden, Vladimir Putin, President Xi. Now that was bold. Or Rupert Murdoch. Four old men that seem to control most of the world. I'm, I'm going to give myself a quarter on this one. Uh, of okay. those four men. I think okay. I might have missed a news. Well, actually, sorry. Uh, I'll give myself an eight. Okay. okay. So, uh, obviously, Interested three out of four argue this one. categorically still alive and in their jobs, which is the important thing. One of the four is 
very much alive. I think even may have another new girlfriend as we speak at 91 years old, uh, but obviously did uh, sort of retire, which is Rupert Murdoch. I, I think directionally, uh, you know, there are certainly deaths, you know, like Biden's age is killing his political fortunes. Correct. And Didn't yeah. Putin have a heart attack? Allegedly, yeah. He also, he also had like a stroke and yeah. uh, there was some story in the Daily Mail or something that he shit himself <laughs> yeah. in a meeting. So like, I don't know, he's not healthy. I, I don't think he's healthy. So uh, Murdoch <laughs> stepping away was, was obviously, um, I, I don't think it was that big a surprise, but I was a little surprised um, it didn't have more impact in terms of restructuring news. Not that that was negative for the shares at all. The shares have actually been really rather good this year. It's been unbelievable. Yeah, it's been very, very good because they were really so cheap. Uh, of course, I didn't predict Charlie Munger's death, which, um, number one, I wouldn't want to predict, and number two, it was uh, very sad, even at 99. Yeah, and Bryce's hero, Henry Kissinger, also died at age 100. Who? <laughs> oh. <laughs> You know, I missed that. We'll just uh, say for <laughs> obvious reasons, see my see my see my Twitter feed. Uh, Henry Kissinger's not one of mine. Yeah, <laughs> he shouldn't be. A hero. Okay, you should, you should reject that. Okay, I reject that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move to prediction number three. My third prediction is that house prices in Australia will not bottom this year. Uh, house prices in America will bottom this year. House prices took us the whole three predictions to get to housing. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I'm going to give myself a half for that um, because uh, house prices in Australia certainly they, they bottomed in the sense of, you know, they're up. I think if you use the core logic data, they're across the country, they're up about 6% roughly in 2023. So uh, they certainly stopped falling. Uh, I suspect they may resume some falls in, in 2024. Don't say that. Bryce that. and I have both just got mortgages. <laughs> Why do you think I think they're going to fall in 2024? <laughs> so, um, the US, unless you're in San Francisco, uh, which certainly hasn't bottomed, but uh, generally US house prices certainly did find a bottom around the second to third quarter of this year. Um, if you use data from the Federal Reserve Board of St. Louis and, and other things, the average house price in the US in the second quarter of 2023 was $418,500. Dream on, boys, with yeah, your Sydney mortgage. What the hell? That is US, by the way, so that's what, Still. 600. Uh, and in the third quarter, it was about 430. 31,000. So they look as though they've actually bottomed out. And I think with short-term interest rates having probably peaked, please bear in mind short-term rates have much less impact in the US than they do here. Yeah, because it's fixed-rate mortgages. So yeah, one of the issues with houses in the US, they don't transact. So, uh, you know, particularly with interest rates where they are. So, so in Australia, even though, according to CoreLogic, the national average is back at all-time highs, close to all-time highs, yeah, you I think, think there's there's another leg down? Uh, I, I certainly believe there is another leg down, but we might explore that in February. Ah, <laughs> nice. Two months is a long time. Yeah, <laughs> it is, it is. Yeah. Yeah. All right, moving on, prediction number four. Bold prediction number four. This is not bold at all. Great. Okay, this yep. is not bold. This is about as consensus as you can get, okay? But the date to watch is the 17th of September 2023, okay? So my bold prediction is when we come back at sort of Christmas time and do the rerun of what happened to these bold predictions, Philip Lowe will not 
be the Governor of the Reserve Bank. Right, OK. OK, yeah. his contract finishes on the 17th of September and I don't think it'll be renewed. Mm. Sometimes you just got to put a few easy ones in there for you. <laughs> oh, that was, uh, no, I, I don't think that warrants much much comment. The only thing I did add, actually, which if you listen to the February broadcast, is I said I think they'd bring an outsider in, okay, which they didn't do. No. But, but Ms Bullock is acting like an outsider, which I think is very encouraging. And I'm half right because, of course, her deputy, just appointed, is very much an outsider from the Bank of England. Who, who is the deputy? I've missed this. Housler. Housler. So he's 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 from the Bank of England, and I think that is um, that that's really really good. So they're getting rid of the group think, which uh, the Reserve Bank of Australia was riddled with. So I think that's that's fantastic. So uh, I don't think we need to spend much time on that because uh, Doc, Dr. Lowe's continued to uh, unfortunately make a fool of himself at conferences in Hong yeah, Kong. Yeah, he's sticking with, around, yeah. isn't he? What's yeah. he done? Just keeps uh, commenting. Sort of, yeah, oh, he's he's sort of, of, is he like defending himself? Uh, uh, he's he's sort of trying to, and he's sort of making predictions that kind of like were, were maybe relevant five months ago, but okay. not now. Mm. So uh, yeah, go play some Just, more golf. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, number five. So bold prediction number five is the Fed funds rate will not be below 4% this year. Nice. Okay, it's currently above four. It's, you know, it's close. It's basically... 4.6. Uh, 4.6 4. at the midpoint, like yeah. And I think before you give your explanation, it's important to contextualise where we were in February because we had had a number of rate rises in the States and in Australia in 2022, and there was a lot of conversation around, we're going to start seeing rate cuts in 2023. Yes. And so your prediction was more bold than it feels as we look back on the year. Absolutely. No, I think you contextualise it really, really well, Alec. I think that that was important. I think well, you know, one of the things I added to that and, and some of the underpinnings to it was that inflation was going to level out, and uh, that that certainly happened. That's actually going. That's one of our other predictions to to discuss. Uh, but yeah, you're absolutely spot on. You know, people were starting to expect rate cuts. I mean, you're seeing in in equity markets at the moment. You know, the the way in which significant rate cuts uh, are being parcelled into 2024 is 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 really quite surprising. It shows one thing, and I think it's a brilliant cautionary note to everyone watching and listening. Stock markets now are generationally obsessed with interest rates, <laughs> okay? Um, you know, because we've had such a long period of time of, of ZERP, zero interest rate policy, or close to it, uh, and that, that obviously drove long-term asset prices. Central banks have by and large broken that, and each central banker, whether it's Jay Powell or even Michelle Bullock to a degree, are sort of really cautioning that we're not going back to that regime. And the millennials who, who perhaps are, you know, some of the key people in stock markets at the moment, you know, they basically don't believe them because they've grown up in an environment where we've had next to zero interest rates all the time. And they're thinking, well, we're going back to that. Yeah. No, we're not. No, we are not. We may get interest rate cuts, but we ain't going back to ZERP. And people are starting to price stock markets as though we are. And they forget there's another side to this equation that we'll talk about in a minute. And it's probably one of the big things I got wrong in 2023, okay, which of course is earnings. Mm. And you can't have both. You can't have ZERP and earnings hanging around where they are. Yeah. One of them's going to give. Well, before we get to earnings, we had another prediction on interest rates back here at home. 
And, and the reason, <laughs> Next the, question. Well, so, okay. And prediction number six is that the Reserve Bank's cash rate will, will not be below 3% at any stage this year. And I think in your explanation, you spoke about how entrenched inflation was becoming and yep. you, you saw it as more entrenched than the US and Europe. Yep. About eight months later, The Economist has finally woken up to what you saw at the start of the year. Absolutely. They published their... Uh, inflation entrenchment index where australia is number one with a pretty meaningful gap to then britain at number two so yeah not only were you right on the the prediction but the explanation was pretty spot on as well yeah i can so i think prediction number six uh how, how can i you know how can i be understated about it i think i absolutely crushed it <laughs> um yeah i think that was that that you, you've nailed it and it was it was absolutely you know the key thing about it was the entrenchment of this we were miles behind the curve you yeah. know which was the whole rationale behind low getting punted because you got it all wrong uh and can contributed to where we were so it was really a matter of the fact that um, I was surprised you know I was surprised Lowe went hard yeah then he got sort of nailed by the political backlash and don't forget like you know was it you know he had four months at the end where he didn't raise rates at all which is utterly yeah if you wanted to see why the man had to go and he's a lovely guy but he was just incompetent it was that as much as anything else. So you've got this entrenched inflation. Everybody knows it's entrenched. Um, it's not supply chain driven from Chinese dock workers not being able to work. It's totally about the demand in the Australian economy, working through the savings and the very large savings that we have, where people have been spending it, pushing up prices, pushing up asset prices as well. And he sat there for four months when he knew he was leaving. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, he literally did sit on his butt and do really not a lot apart from, you know, a sort of celebratory trip around Australia and, um, you know, and sort of a Morgan Stanley conference, you know, just, you know, I'm quite scathing about his performance. It's it really poor. And things, you know, our cash rate, which is at the time speaking is 435, should should have a five in front of it. Categorically Jeez. get people. <laughs> so the, there's two elements, don't forget, to moving interest rates. There is the physical cost of money, which will always be dictated by the market, but you can obviously influence it by setting the base rate, if you will, at which banks can borrow from the central bank. Okay, so that's one yeah, essential of it that you learn in economics. But the other bit is about jawboning. It's about getting consumers and people and folks in the economy to kind of behave in a different manner to what they have been. Okay, and 435's starting to get people doing that that's i'll accept that but five would really get people doing that but will it get the right people doing it yeah um like you just spoke what? about savings oh, and yeah. spending. people without mortgages yeah well, you have to you have to i mean one of the biggest problems we've had in australia and quite clearly one of the biggest problems you've got in america is that fiscal and monetary policy have been counteracting True. each other yeah. completely and that's the, that's the situation in australia as well i mean fiscal policy is reasonably loose because we've had yeah, we've had big sort of uh, inflows into Treasury from, you know, iron ore prices, for example. Uh, and so, you know, Treasury's had a bit more money to spend. I mean, we shouldn't be having stage three tax cuts that's, you know, that were, you know, enact, uh, that was sort of legislated a few years ago. You know, no, 
You shouldn't have those at all. They're directly inflationary. And so the government's been sort of pounding away spending. You know, you can't get in a car without getting in a traffic jam because there's a crane in front of you. You know, so we've had lots of government spending, uh, which is counteracting the fact that it, it's kind of hurting, you know, mortgage owners. And I accept the fact that, you know, uh, millennials who have, uh, sorry, uh, boomers who have cash are earning more on that cash. One of the biggest problems is we still have stupid tax policy in this country. I mean, it is a joke that you can live in a $4 million house uh, with very little money in the bank and claim the pension. Yeah. Now, that's outrageous. That's just utterly outrageous, and it's outrageous against your generation. It's a disgrace that my generation can do that, and I know people doing that. Well, Andrew, I think we've just got our social media clip yeah. for this episode, <laughs> so <laughs> we'll make a note of this timestamp. Um, I guess to, to close out the inflation story before we move on to our next prediction, how entrenched do you think it is now? Um, it's still significantly entrenched because we do have these strong buffers from COVID where people did save. Yeah, you know, some didn't, but we do have these strong buffers, probably more so than anywhere else in the world. And what that means is people can continue to spend a bit longer than they can, say, in America, yeah. where increasingly you look and people look tapped out. Yeah. So I, I think it's going to hang around a little bit longer and our government spend is strong. We've obviously got very strong immigration, which, you know, which is highly contentious, and so it should be, you know. When you open, I mean, you, you don't conduct economic policy with sort of valves going maximum off, maximum on. Mm -hmm. You know, that's how you flood your next door neighbour's garden. You know, it's sort of, you don't conduct policy like that. So yeah. you can't let 600,000 people into Australia. I don't care where they're from. Yeah. It doesn't matter to me where they're from. I care if they're from Timbuktu, Canada, you know, Peru. It's irrelevant. Okay. What's relevant is they got to live somewhere, um, you know, and they got to spend, and they're going to spend, mm. and, it, and it's creating too much inflation. It's creating an asset price bubble, and it's basically making the economy completely unbalanced. That's got to change. I just can't believe that, yeah, you know, the fiscal and monetary policy in Australia for the last two or three years is just, you know, they've just been pulling against each other. It's been silly. What are your thoughts on the stage three tax cuts then coming they in twenty twenty four? Get rid of them. He's already given us a big... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're for ri Mate, they're for rich boomers. Get rid of them. You know, they're not needed. Most mm. people don't need them. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're doing the maths on it as well. I think someone who earns $200,000 a year will get an extra $9,000 from yeah. the stage three tax cuts, which is 4.5%. But if inflation stays at a five or a four for years to come, it's like yeah. all that value is eroded away. Like, it's, it, yeah. it's just, I mean, we're... Yeah, to be quite blunt, I mean, yeah, what's got? I mean, I'm, you should probably gather I'm actually not, you know, the biggest kind of bull on Australia at all at yeah. the moment. Yeah, I think the place is run like a, you know, garbage tip. It's terrible. You know, that you know, we have such insular politicians that don't look elsewhere. You know, to get an idea as to what's working elsewhere uh, and what should happen. It's also insular. It's 24-hour news cycle rubbish. Um, yeah, the fact that Labor have been kicked around for potential, you know. Uh, thinking about getting rid of stage three tax cuts and, and there's so much political backlash if they do that they won't do it, you know, that's criminal. Mm. You know, that was Scott Morrison's idea and, you know, as an economist, you know, Scott Morrison's a really good road sweeper. Um, you know, just, you know, you should get rid of them. Be done with them. They're inflationary. Yeah. 
100%. Yeah. All right, well, we're not yeah. here to talk politics. We'll no. save that for the politics podcast. We'll get back to <laughs> finance. Uh, prediction number seven, all about yeah. earnings. And therefore, prediction number seven is after a 15% correction, I think the market will end up not too far away from where it was at the end of 2022. Well, if I crushed <laughs> prediction number six, uh, <laughs> prediction number seven sure crushed me. Yeah, you didn't yeah. think about the magnificent seven, did uh, you? <laughs> no, there, there, there are so many things that... that derailed that prediction mm. now we should be clear because um australia has uh, ended pretty much yeah. where that's we were. prediction number we, eight yeah we, this prediction was about the u.s this is about the u.s yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah this is about the u.s where did it go wrong to be blunt where it went wrong as much as anything wasn't i mean clearly from an index construction point of view is the magnificent seven which had already started a little bit by the time we made the broadcast in in uh, early to mid-february but that just carried on carrying on i'll come back to them just briefly in a second but the main reason i didn't get it right was that i thought earnings for the 2023 calendar year were going to be weaker than they in fact are so i I thought earnings could be down around the 200 mark for the s p 500 and in fact they're still about 220 they were about 225 when we made the original broadcast so they come off two percent well that's really not much uh what's happened somewhat surprisingly is that the pe on the market has gone from 18 and a bit which i thought was a bit expensive to over 20 uh on 20 2023 earnings 2024 earnings are still very high they're still 240 odd plus and i i I can't see that happening uh given that the economy is slowing so i got earnings wrong and that underpinned the market even at slightly high uh pe's the pe story was a bit surprising given obviously the long bond was 3.67 the day we recorded made it all the way to five currently around call it four and a quarter 4.3 okay so the PE should have come backwards a little bit and in fact didn't so that's why as much as anything that's why we were wrong it was simply because uh the forecast the forecast decline in earnings didn't really materialize um I just want to briefly comment on the Magnificent Seven. They're about 44% of the S&P 500. They were 55% until they rebased the index, yeah, by the way. Yeah. So that, that they were key drivers. Can I just absolutely implore everybody, these are not seven homogeneous companies, okay? They, people seem to think they're homogeneous companies because they've sort of moved a little bit in tandem. Um, you know, NVIDIA's a rocket ship. Yeah, it's <laughs> look, its earnings next year will be 10 times what they were a year and a half ago. Wow. So it's tenfold increase in yeah. earnings because of obviously what's going on with AI and their specific group of chips. Apple's going nowhere without new product launches, producing a lot of cash flow and buybacks, yeah. but underlying profits, you know, it's sort of got some interesting issues given it's a 30 multiple stock. Tesla's going backwards despite selling near or delivering certainly 75% more cars in 2023 than they did in 2022. The margin at which they're selling them is so much lower. And despite actually increased earnings from their other businesses of energy and and services, yeah, their earnings basically are on a rolling 12-month basis seem to have peaked out for the time being in the second quarter of 2023. And yet that stock, you know, has rebounded from 110 at one stage where I bought it. 
Oh, you bought Tesla. Bought Tesla, yeah. Wow. Uh, and it's, it's I remember obviously years ago when two, uh, you were a big <laughs> massive yeah, yeah, short. Nearly, nearly 240. Yeah, the earnings caught up with my short. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, that, that's obviously got some very interesting issues in its own right, you know, as, as a business. Microsoft's been so consistent and has grown ahead of its closest peers. Uh, and I think the most interesting of, of the seven, quite frankly, both looking both from a negative and a positive point of view is Google. Or, or Alphabet, just simply because of, of how does AI impact on search and hence advertising. So that, and that's fascinating. And of course, it's it's not exactly a non-player in AI itself. Anybody that's used Bard will tell you it leaves Chat GPT for dead. Really? Yeah, that's really good. Okay, mm. I uh, so when it first launched, I probably dabbled in it, but I haven't yeah. used it since. No, it's been quite good. I actually do use Bard. Mm. Okay. Yeah, mm. for, for various things. It's actually pretty good. So I'm going to give myself like an eighth of a point for I, that. I think we can't <laughs> give you a point. An eighth of a point. An eighth of a point. You did, the, there was a 10% fall between like July and yeah, October. Yeah, the, the, biggest, the biggest drawdown was about... Ill- 10 and a half, 11 percent in in actually both the S and P, the Nasdaq, and uh, as we'll come to in a second, the Aussie market. All yeah. oh, right, now, now now they're mortgaged up to the hilt. These, oh, no, no, no. these, these, these boys are turning into grumpy old men. So uh, all right, no points. No in points. All right, well let's turn to Australia because we've just mentioned it. We don't have a clip for this one, but the prediction was, this is prediction number eight for those yep. keeping track, the Aussie market will go nowhere in a slightly volatile fashion. I know it's pretty spot on, yeah. okay? When uh, the, the, uh, at the end of the year last year, the Aussie market was, um, it was about 7,000. It rose 6.5% between the year end and when we did the recording. So it's about 74 for 90 when we did the um when we actually did the recording and and as we speak it's kind of give or take around the 7100 mark okay so it's, it's actually gone backwards by uh somewhere in the order of five percent um and it, and it 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 was sort of volatile in a sense of it had some you know it did have a 10 and a bit percent drawdown at one stage you know got got nicely into the sort of six thousands you know before sort of rebounding in in november in line with 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 other global markets by sort of it underperformed them but it rebounded about four percent so it did go really pretty much nowhere in a volatile fashion what was really driving it well monetary policy was driving it so the banks you know couldn't get into a bull market or or a major bear market uh obviously commodities were quite volatile particularly iron ore don't forget every time we thought iron ore was 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 done and Dusted, the price in China went up and the Aussie dollar was weak. So the eight dollar iron ore price for for the big you know the the big producers was pretty fantastic. And then obviously small caps were horrendous, and, and mid caps by and large were pretty horrendous as well because they're more domestically oriented. The domestic environment wasn't very good. The domestic retail environment you know obviously worsened beyond belief as as the year got better, uh, as the year got on. Unless your name's Solomon Luke, because you're employed yeah. really 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 good retail executives. Mm. Don't let your business go to Yeah, crap. have the best Black Friday sale they've ever had. Absolutely. Like, yeah. Well, this is, I mean, this is going to be something that people are going to struggle to contend with and still do. You know, I know some of the younger people at, at my work, yeah, they've been saving their money, not for Christmas, they've been saving their money for Black Friday, Cyber Monday. 
Really? So the, one of the young ladies who works on our desk at work, I mean, basically she had to come to work last week because there was a parcel arriving every five minutes. <laughs> but, hey, in fairness to her, she'd been really saving her pennies up to, yeah, you know, yeah. to buy you know, an assortment, an array of things from, you know, not we're not talking just clothes, but, you know, all kinds of other things. And that's really disrupting things because the deals are good. Mm. The deals are really, really good. And people are buying stuff for Christmas at that time or they're saying, well, we're not going to bother buying anybody anything at Christmas you know we're, we're just going to you know because things are a bit tight so we're going to get the bargains that are out there and uh, so it's changed retail in Australia for forever in my belief and I'll be very interested because in 2023 you know things are a lot tighter for the consumer we know that so if they've had a nice spend on Black Friday mm. don't blame them yeah. smart thinking Christmas. what's Christmas going to look yeah. like yeah uh, I think you've even got retailers who are usually universally bullish and stupid. Um, you know, even they're not really saying too much. Yeah. Well, so. I think it's just a bring forward of Christmas. It spending. is a bring you've forward. You've got to start thinking about it all being yeah. one. And Although I, I do want to make the point because everyone gets very excited about Black Friday and Boxing Day. Uh, this is UK data, but the UK consumer group, which did a study of eight major retailers and looked at Black Friday sales. They found that 98% of the items they tracked were the same price or lower at other times in the year. Yeah. So there's a lot of raising prices right yes, before there to Absolutely. cut them. There's, there's a so lot of chicanery. Always sure. be a little bit cynical when it comes to these things. Really? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Alrighty, well, let's take a break. And on the other side, we're going to tackle the rich getting richer, scandals, corporate activity, you name it, plenty to cover. We'll be right back. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. All right, welcome back to Equity Mates. We're here with Andrew Brown, closing out the year with his bold predictions for 2023. We've done nine. Andrew's giving himself eighth of points in all sorts of different pieces. I think we've done eight, actually. We're here for the ninth. Let's get stuck in. That's that's prediction number nine, is the rich will get richer. How do you play it? Think about how you play that in your in your portfolios. Nice. Um. I'm giving myself a half a point for this because it's not quite right. Um, the very rich got much richer mm. and the rich didn't necessarily get richer. Okay. okay? And so we, we looked at how do you play it in a portfolio and obviously the most obvious starting point is luxury stocks. Mm. And 
what I'm going to say are the run-of-the-mill luxury stocks, if such a thing yeah. exists, actually didn't do that well from where they were. Well, I mean, to be fair to you, so I had a look yeah. at LVMH. It yeah, was, was down. It was up 30% for the year, yeah. halfway through the year. Yeah. You were stoked. You would have been yeah. loving it. Yeah. But and then it's given it all back. It's given it all back. Yeah. The, the kind of, I mean, you got to remember, LVMH is 75 maison. You know, it doesn't have brands. It has maison. <laughs> um, and, you know, it, so that covers everything from like Sephora, you know, to, you know, really, really high end, you know, sort of blingy, baubly, Tiffany stuff. So, you know, it's it's the obvious slightly upper end luxury house, but it does cover a very, very broad spectrum. So its stock was actually down, whereas Hermes, you know, the you know, the ten grand handbags, uh, you know, that's up from one eighty ish uh, euros to two oh eight from when we spoke. The other run of the mill uh, luxury Stocks, they're down. Things like Kering, mm. uh, which owns Gucci and Saint Laurent, you know, that, that's down from 580 to 390. Uh, however, the really top end stuff, where just not everybody can play, the two really top end things, Ferrari, that's up from 266 to 358. They've just had a banger of a year wow. with not much increase in production, but jacked up pricing and Jeez. jacked up profitability as a consequence of that full <laughs> order book for 2024. Wow. Wow. It, is just, it is just one of the, I think it's taken people a long time to wake up to just what an amazing company Ferrari really, really is. Uh, I don't own Ferrari stock, but of course I do own its controlling shareholder which is mm. Exor mm. in, in Italy and that's driven the Exor price up as well because it's you know one of its biggest holdings. The other one that's interesting which I introduced people to during the year and they never knew you could buy stock in this thing uh, is the Societe de Bain de Mer which is the Grimaldi family's holding company of its assets in Monaco. Uh, the casino, the Hotel de Paris, four other hotels and a whole bunch of really high-end apartments and it's the high-end apartments that drive the profits in this thing you know sort of 150 euros thousand euros a month rent in in some of them so uh, we're talking super rich so that stocks up about 12 or 13 percent since we actually did the broadcast i wrote a piece about it in our quarterly report in march uh, to explain what the drivers were so the very very high end has has really worked out so uh, i think i can give myself a sort of you know a good half a point for that Nice. Nice. Okay. Well, let's keep moving. Prediction number 10. Number 10. We are going to have scandals. That's it. That's it. That's it. Did we have scandals this year? Not really. No, I'm trying to think. Not well, like really. Alan, market Alan scandals, Qantas, but like that wasn't really a scandal. That no, was surely Elon was in a scandal. Yeah. What about what about FTX? That was the year before. Was that last year? Okay, yeah, that was, Binance. That was, that was Binance, Binance, yeah. They're not, re- they're, they're, not, they're not the kind of scandals that really rock markets. They may have rocked the crypto market, but, you know, that's a kind of very... I don't even think it did. It I know, I know really. you're not bullish no. on crypto, but so, Bitcoin just crossed 40,000. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there was nothing like... Uh, I remember in the early 2000s, there were so many scandals and they did have an impact even on the Australian stock market. And we know, obviously... Um, 
you know, uh, in post two thousand eight, there were there were lots of scandals as well that that rocked the U.S. market for a period. Uh, but you know, to be frank, the kind of things I was looking at were the valuation of unlisted assets that you know I thought were were way overblown and ha- you know weren't responding properly to the environment or interest rates. Um, Look, commercial property, I mean, there's, there's still people who dream on in commercial property in, in, in Australia. Um, you know, they're absolutely kidding the values of these things. You know, just, just to enlighten uh, the listeners, uh, commercial property is still valued on the basis of face rent. So, you know, even though you're only paying $600 a metre, you know, that's because they're discounting it to you from the face rent of 1000 So they, they, they value the property based on the, the face rent of $1,000 a metre, et cetera, et cetera. And then they move the yield around. And that's, that's, that's why, you know, Australians have too much commercial property in some of the unlisted funds. I should add the unlisted funds, they have a lot of it, but it's not a massive portion of their asset base. Uh, if you remarked things like airports and some of that infrastructure stuff to a different market, that would be more troublesome. But it's hard to mark an airport down at the moment since you can barely get in the doors. Mm. So the yield might be higher, but they should be all doing well profit-wise. So at the start of the year, we had spoken about how um, this public market valuations have yeah. come back in with interest rates yeah. rising, which is... You you know, economics 101, yeah. uh, but the private equity funds and the big unlisted yeah. funds hadn't marked down their assets I, in a similar way. Yeah. Throughout the course of the year, have we seen anyone start marking down? Not as much as they should have done. Okay. They're certainly the marks are down. No issue about that. I mean, yeah, I know it's a public company, but they do run a lot of unlisted stuff and, and, and you know, uh, public sector funds are invested in that. But, you know, somebody like Dexas, you know, they they sold a couple of buildings in Sydney, and they were at fifteen plus percent discounts to what they were carried in the right, books. Okay. And Dexas, you know, please, Dexas are no fools. They're smart people. They're very honest people, but you know, they're they're sort of you know, there's certainly an element of trying to prop the values. Uh, so I think if anything, uh, 2024 could be a lot more interesting. Yeah. On, right. on that front, but we'll we'll get to that in Feb. Yeah. Maybe could, could be a carryover prediction. Yeah. All right, we'll move to 11 and 12. Sasha has clipped both of these together as an FYI. To me, so prediction number 11 is is basically Texas will go, yep. I think. Yep. Um, the other one, I think, is as part of that whole thing in, in corporate activity, and I, I touched on this rather nastily earlier on, uh, is I think this is the year News Corp will finally unravel itself. So two predictions there. The first, they, they were both. The, the first one was around corporate activity, and you said you specifically you thought Dexas was a player to get acquired, yeah. taken off the boards. But then the second one was uh, that News Corp would finally unravel itself. Which one do you want to take first? Uh, well, Dexas hasn't been taken off the no. boards, <laughs> no. and uh, yeah, to be honest, I mean the the people that, that should be taking it off the boards are too gun shy. Okay. You know, who should be taking it off the boards? Oh, like it should be basically the yeah. the not for profit super funds should you know gang up with each other and, and and do it, and and they're a little bit too gun shy at the moment as to as to wanting to do that. So, um, and I think in fairness as well, uh, I think the environment since we made the February recording has worsened 
for commercial property. It's not got better. It certainly went into a fairly deep dive around the middle of the year. Um, so it was looking a bit more encouraging for a brief period, but then it went into a real dive. And sure, people are coming back to the office, but, you know, it's pretty categoric now. Folk, you know, what, what folks for the time being have got a new work pattern, in, you know, maybe two or, two or three at home, two or three at work. Um, you know, everybody comes to work on Wednesdays, you know, that sort of stuff. And, you know, property's going to rejig. You know, you can, you can see it just walking around, you know, central business district, Sydney, uh, much more so actually than Melbourne. You know, Mel- Melbourne, you know, as we know, you know, has not got past 50% re uh, you know people going back to the office for work you know it's quite different so dex is no that was not correct let's get to fox uh let's oh, get yeah. news, news, yeah. uh, news did not unravel okay yes. let's make that clear news did not unravel for, in, in for, a conventional sense for context it's up 28 yeah. percent for the year absolutely uh but i did say it was very undervalued and so that worked out and i've held news all this year and i'm very happy camper thank you very much and <laughs> yeah there may be there may be you know things to happen uh next year but um uh, that's you know that's delayed for the time being, but not a problem. You've been paid to wait. Mm. Love it. Just just on news. So REA Group is up forty six percent for the year. Yeah. News Corp is the biggest shareholder in that's REA right. Group. Is the twenty eight percent rise in News Corp's share price just because of REA, or is it uh, other by and large yes? Because the valuations of old media are still extremely low. I have a decent holding of Vivendi, which is the French company which owns Canal Plus, which is the French free-to-air broadcaster and filmmaker, and, and it, it owns that. It is its largest contributor to profit and can cash flow. And you, you can buy Canal Plus and Havas, which is an advertising agency, you can buy those at below one and a quarter times EVE. But okay, right. Okay. So the valuation of old world media and its related arenas mm. is still extraordinarily low i would contend that you know, news has got things in it most notably dow jones that, that are not old world media at all yeah, they're new yeah. world data and we know what new world data looks like because just look at the share price of the london stock exchange group you know which which now you know which basically is just really all about data it's not about trading stocks so you know i think news has actually got a lot more in it and yeah. so arguably um you know, what, what you're hinting at is actually right, that, that the lag on REA is actually more acute than you imagine. Mm. Okay. There you go. All righty. Number 13. If you're looking for contrarian place for the 410th year in succession, Brown comes back to equity mates with maybe buy gold stocks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, gold. So you, uh, the gold stock in particular you spoke about was Newcrest, yeah. I believe. Yes. So how did gold go in? Well, for yeah, uh, <laughs> so yeah, four hundred and ten. We finally <laughs> nailed it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Nailed's probably a bit strong, but anyway. So the a- uh, uh, ASX has a gold index in amongst all its sub-indices, you know, like banks and things, and the ASX gold index was up about 16%. Uh, the gold price itself was up about 11 in US dollar terms. And the Aussie dollar gold price obviously was pretty good because the Aussie dollar for at least most of the year actually was, was, was quite weak. So 
I'm going to count that as a win. A lot of the major gold stocks actually didn't, whilst the index was up, it, you know, like, you know, some of them are still really disappointing. Like uh, Northern Star and uh, Evolution are still pretty much where they were at the start of the year. And, and you know, to be frank, you know, I, I sort of, the prediction did sort of, you know, look like a horse race over a mile where nobody does anything until 200 metres from the post and then they all come flashing home. And that's, of course, what happened with gold with the more recent rise at the, at the year end so you know at time number 411 we we got it right so newcrest in particular i was yep. having a look they got taken out by yep. new mont yeah yep. um so I imagine there was probably a premium there for the acquisition. Yeah, there's, there's a premium. There is. I'm trying to remember the the exact thing, but there was a premium there for the acquisition. So I think, if I remember rightly, you probably made 25, 30 percent on that. Nice. Okay, now that, that was our biggest that. gold stock. So, uh, <laughs> as I say, you know, it it worked. Thank you. I think nice. the other half of that prediction that we didn't get a clip for was uh, the Vietnamese stock market. Absolutely. Now yes. I was trying to Google last night the Vietnamese index, and yes. I couldn't get a. a clean read and I figured oh it's alright Andrew will have done the work yes so, I have done the work the, the Vietnamese stock market yeah the Vietnamese the Vietnamese stock market I can tell you the the Ho Chi uh, the Ho Chi Minh index was about 1063 when we recorded and uh, last I looked it was about 1102 However, I think I made mention of um, a Van Eck ETF yeah, yeah. as being the best way to play it because it was pure public company because some of the other ETFs have got private Vietnamese stuff in as well and I think that's you know a little bit sort of more risky and the Van Eck ETFs up from $11.96 to $13.10 so didn't quite match the NASDAQ but it was a hit it's up nonetheless it's up nonetheless All right, Andrew, to close out, we don't have a clip for it, but um, prediction number 14 was that your Russian stocks will trade again in brackets after Putin dies and Ukraine wins the war. Um that's not as zany as you think, okay? okay? Because my Russian stocks are not trading again, as you mm. probably know. Well, they're not trading to me. Yes. However, my Spurbank stock is one of the best performing bank stocks in the world. I can't sell it. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> it's held in. What, what I love is held in an interactive broker's account, which is which has the wonderful, which which you know it has an account number, has its own individual account number, everything else in it, and it's and it's highlighted da 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 sanctioned account. Oh, okay. So they actually call it sanctioned account. But Spurbank's been you know really good stock over the course of uh, over the course of 2023. Um, we, we we should just before we get yeah. too far into it for people who haven't heard the previous episodes at the start of 2022 uh you were bullish on russian a yes. few russian stocks because they were very cheap yeah and then obviously putin invades ukraine yes and the west sanctions russia yep and you, all of a sudden you can't buy or sell russian stocks correct uh, you and yeah you know, everyone else in the west yep and so but since then the russian stock market has continued to trade for russians correct and so you have just this holding that you can't sell that's right i have a i have a holding uh which was converted from adrs and so it, it's actually priced in in rubles and okay. and you know the ruble's been a bit weak <laughs> yeah. uh, although it's strengthened recently for whatever reason but the ruble's generally been pretty weak but uh the underlying stock's been pretty good but um you know i can 
can't sell you can't it. Can't get yeah. rid so, of it. So look, the prediction that the Russian stock market would reopen to the West, no, sorry. Yeah. No. But uh, I've I've not been that hampered. And remember one of you know remember one of Brian Buffett's favourite quotes that you know if you buy stocks you should be you know buying stocks on the basis yes, that if the, the market stock market closes. Market closes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the stock close. market gets sanctioned by the global. Yeah, yeah so you can't get your money <laughs> back. Can't get your money back. So, <laughs> okay. well, I did a really quick calculation. You know. Um, you know, extrapolating this, that, and the other, and with eighths of a point here and there. Yeah. And I gave myself, uh, last year we got 10 out of 14, I gave myself eight and a half. That's good. That's, nice. a, that's a credit at uni, that's, and that's, that's how I got through my degree. <laughs> that's so, and as I, uh, you know, and, and as I've said on, on socials, uh, yeah, it's not so much, uh, you know, you said the market would, you know, go down and it went up. It's, why did we think it was going to go down? What changed during the year to, to actually render that prediction invalid? Because remember, I can't come back in June and say, oh, I've changed my mind. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I have to sit it out for the whole year. Mm. So it's a matter of actually looking. And I mean, one of, one of, the, one of the reasons I actually love doing this exercise is the exercise you guys should do as well. Not on economic predictions, but basically look at your portfolio. Mm. Yeah. Why is it not working out the way you thought it was going to work out or even an individual stock level? What's changed? You know, what's changed about the thesis? Is it the earnings are not coming through in the way you wanted? Did they not sell the poor division in the company that you wanted them to sell? Is the capital management really poor? They're not doing a buyback when they should be. You know, all those kind of things. You know, do this for yourself. Do it for your portfolio. Don't do it every week. It's mm. pointless. You know, it's like this. Do it once a year mm. you know, and have a look at you know where things went wrong for you and, of course, where things went right for you. Yeah. Well, great way to finish there, Andrew. And with no ability to come back in halfway through the year and change, I think, 8.5 out of 12 uh, – out of 14, 14. Um, okay. was a decent result. So we are very much looking forward to having you back in February again. Yes, the year will be underway, but we will still sit down for our bold predictions of 2024 – who knows how that's going to play out. But as always, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Absolutely. And what I will say about Bold Predictions 2024, this is the most fascinating environment in the stock market for some time. So whatever we do, unless something radically changes by February, uh, it, it, it's probably going to be uh, probably a very, very interesting pod. Okay. There is opportunity galore out there now. Nice. Wow. Opportunity galore. I love that tease. <laughs> uh, well, everyone enjoy your summer. Come back refreshed and then we'll jump into what 2024 holds next year. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Uh, happy uh, happy Hanukkah. Happy time of the year. You know, whatever you celebrate and uh, have a good and safe one. You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have physicians in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697. 
Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.